and I've said this before, we've said it, we'll keep saying it, you know, we could never hire enough staff to do all of the work that we believe that God has called us to do as a church, as followers of Jesus. Uh, we all have a part to play. God has a part for every single one of us. And, and the really encouraging thing is that he often uses unqualified, imperfect people to accomplish his purposes in this world. And if you've been reading with us, you've seen this over the last few weeks as you've been reading. We saw it with Abraham and Sarah, uh, an infertile, elder, uh, elderly, infertile couple that God chose to populate a nation. Last week, we learned about a teenager named Joseph. Uh, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he ends up in prison in Egypt, but somehow God elevates him to second in command there. Well, after Joseph died, things slowly got worse for the people of Israel. A new Pharaoh came to power in Egypt, uh, and the Israelites, well, they were put into a difficult situation as the Pharaoh was afraid that the Israelites would continue to grow and one day overthrow them in Egypt. And here's how we read about that. In Exodus chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 8, a, a little history for us. It's recorded that then a new king or a new Pharaoh, uh, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must shrewdly deal with them or, sh or deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. And so this new king knew nothing about Joseph or anything about Israel being God's people, and so he turned the Israelites into slaves, which shouldn't be a surprise, because if you remember reading this in Genesis chapter 15, 500 years earlier, here's what God warned Abraham with. He said, the Lord said to him, know for certain, again to Abraham, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Now, whether the Israelites saw this time of oppression coming or not, we don't know, but it was a horrific time in their history. But God was with them. God was with his people and he heard their cries and he's going to initiate a plan to rescue them. Uh, we, we've seen God's faithfulness over and over in just the, the first pages, the book of Genesis. It's going to continue now as we turn the pages through Exodus. And it's in Exodus where we meet Moses, all right? This is where we get to know Moses, and he's lucky to be alive because at the time of his birth, the Pharaoh ordered that all Israelite, or also called Hebrew baby boys, were to be killed. And like any good mother, Moses' mother couldn't imagine losing her baby boy, so she hid him for three months until one day she got an idea. It's recorded in Exodus 2, verse 3. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child, she placed Moses in it, and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now, she knew that Pharaoh's daughter would go down to the river each day, and so in a desperate move, Moses' mother placed him in a basket and floated him towards Pharaoh's daughter, hoping that this woman would discover her son and have mercy on him, and that's exactly what happened. Because Pharaoh's daughter took Moses, and she took him as her own, and she raised him in the palace, but one thing Moses discovered, and we don't know when, but at some point in his life, he discovered, he discovered this and he never forgot this, and that was that he was a Hebrew too. 
uh, that he was just like those on the outside. And what was life like for the Hebrews? Well, while Moses was growing, amongst, growing up amongst royalty, uh, the Hebrews were, were suffering as slaves. And, and one day, and you read about this, Moses was out amongst the work and the slaves and watched as an Egyptian slave master beat a Hebrew worker. And this, this bothered Moses. And so in his anger, he retaliated and killed the Egyptian. And somehow Pharaoh heard about it. And fearing for his life, Moses escaped his comfortable, privileged home in Egypt. And he goes off to a place in the wilderness called Midian. And this is where he's going to spend the next, get this, the next 40 years of his life. I want you to do this. I want you to keep this in mind as you read the Bible. As you read through the Bible, pay attention to all the times that someone ends up in the wilderness. All right, all the times different groups of people end up in the wilderness. And they're going to go there for all sorts of different reasons. But one thing is for sure, most end up hearing from God in a very profound way. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but that still happens today. Uh, it happens like that today. And that, and that doesn't mean that God forces you into the wilderness because he enjoys watching you suffer. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why we end up in the wilderness, mostly because we live in a broken world. But be encouraged with this. Like if, if you're in the wilderness right now, if you're going through a terribly difficult time in your life, a time of loss or abandonment or hurt or, or fear, if you're feeling all alone, the truth is that you're not alone. You're not alone even in the wilderness. Like God's there too. I mean, the same God that was with Rachel in her infertility, Joseph in his betrayal and Moses in his fear is the same God that can meet you in the wilderness of your life. And so keep looking for him. Uh, keep making time for him. Keep listening. Don't give up on God. I mean, if you're still breathing, he's not finished. All right, He's not finished with you yet. And even if you know only a little of Moses' story, chances are that you know something about his encounter with a burning bush. And that's a pretty fascinating story. I went to Israel a few years ago. We spent a lot of time in the wilderness. And I remember one of the things that we learned is that a burning bush is not terribly uncommon. All right, because it won't surprise you that the de desert is a hot, it's a, it's a dry environment. And so it has been uh, observed and even witnessed that even the slightest amount of friction has the potential to set something in the fire in the wilderness. But this bush is different. It's different for a number of reasons. One of the things is that this bush uh, is not burning up, all right, and so that, that made it strange. It wasn't being consumed. The other strange thing is that God's going to speak from it, all right? Yeah, it's just a little strange. It's going to catch your attention if you're there. Look, look at Moses' encounter with the burning bush in Exodus 3, begin, beginning in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Now stop there for just a moment. Do you know who else saw the pain and the suffering of the Hebrew people? Moses did. God is he's referencing this. He's taking Moses back 40 years to that moment, those days that Moses experienced it himself, I just think that it's amazing that God will sometimes give us life experiences that will break us, that will hurt us, uh, that will etch a memory in our mind forever, like something that messes with your heart. And then what will he do? He'll, he'll turn around and it's his desire to, to, to use you to bring something good from it, that you could be a part of, of the solution. Like that's what God's doing here with Moses. Verse 8, he says, so I have come down to rescue them 
from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Termites, and Jebusites. Just, just checking to make sure you're listening. Uh, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, God says, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God says, go. Moses, I, I am sending you. I have put you in this world and given you this experience in Egypt for a reason. Go. I am sending you. And what follows is a conversation with God, maybe a conversation a similar to a conversation that you've had with God before. Because God says, go, and Moses is like, what? Like, like why me? Like, who am I to stand up to Pharaoh and the Egyptian leaders? And how does God reply? No, I'll be with you. Moses, you go. I, I will go with you. To which Moses fires back, I, I can't answer their questions, you know. I, I'm not great with words, you know. God says, no, don't worry. Like, I'll help you. I'll give you the courage. I'll give you the words that you need. I'll give you the answers. And, and God goes on to explain how he plans to do great things through Moses, and yet Moses keeps trying to wiggle his way out of it, saying, no way. There's no way that I can. You ever go back and forth with God? You ever have that, that struggle, kind of that tug of war with God where you just kind of sense you feel like God's nudging you to do one thing? Let's put something on your heart and your mind that won't go away. It just puts you in a single moment of potential obedience on any given day, and it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle. We go back and forth with God. God's going to use three miracles as a way of convincing Moses uh, to trust him. First, God tells Moses to throw a staff on the ground, and he does it, and it becomes a snake, and then God turned it back to a, snake, or a staff again. Uh, next, he told Moses to put his hand in his cloak or his coat, and then when Moses removed his hand, there was leprosy on it, but then God healed his hand, and then finally God told Moses to take some water from the Nile to pour it out on the ground, and it turned to blood. Three miracles, all right, trying to, to convince Moses, but, but Moses isn't convinced. He's afraid to say yes to God. And when you think about it, like Moses is right about one thing. He's, he's got one thing for sure, and that is he's not qualified for this assignment. But what does God keep trying to show him? Well, when, when God chooses you for something, when uh, he calls you to something, he will equip you for it. Uh, that's how he works. It's, it, it's this promise that he'll give us what we need. And one of the reasons that, that God uses unqualified, imperfect students, uh, one of the reasons that God uses unqualified, imperfect men and women, in my opinion at least, is so that we don't get to take credit for it. Uh, that we don't get the glory, the type of glory that only he deserves. Or as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that God's power is made perfect in our weaknesses. That is, his power is perfect, you know, in our weaknesses. And Moses is a perfect example of weakness, but also a great example of God's power working through weakness. Now, I'm no Moses, but, but I see a little of his reluctance in me. And uh, truth be told, I, I didn't want to be a lead pastor. And I've been serving in full-time ministry for about 20 years now. And 20 years ago when I started my first job at a church and then even the second church that I was a part of, I was very content to serve on staff and to be a part of a team. Like, I don't need to be in charge. All right, I'm, I'm not wired like that. 
But God had other plans for me. He had other plans for my family, and he called us to this church. And we know this is where God wants us. The, uh, it's my desire to serve him faithfully for all of the days that he has in mind for me, you know, and my family here at Genesis. But any of you ever feel a little bit like Moses? Like that reluctance? Like the questions, the doubts, like you sense that, that God's pushing you towards something, something keeps showing up, someone invites you to take on a specific role, and you don't have enough confidence, you don't have enough faith, enough time, you don't feel qualified, and you can't help but wonder, like, how could God use me? Like, I, I could see him using you, right? You know, like, sure, like, he could use you, but man, I must be the exception. And, and maybe that's how you feel whenever we invite you to, to think about serving with us in our kids' ministry. You just wonder, like, how could God use me there? Or maybe that's the way you feel when we ask you to think about leading a group, a connection group, to start investing in people in your home. Uh, maybe it's the doubts that keep you from sharing your faith. Maybe it's a lack of confidence that prevents you from wanting to build a relationship with a neighbor to invest in a coworker. Listen, if you've got doubts, you're in good company. All right, Moses had doubts. I have my doubts. We all have our doubts. And so often those doubts, they paralyze us and prevent us from taking the next step with God. The, the trouble is that we can't see what God sees. We have a hard time seeing and understanding how we fit into his plans. And that's why it's so important that you and I, that we keep seeking to understand our identity in Jesus Christ. You know, who we are as followers of God and what he thinks of us. And what he wants to do and can do and has done and promised for our lives. Like that's why we need, you need to spend time alone with the Lord every day, abiding in Jesus. You know, having a conversation with God, growing in prayer. Again, this is why we're challenging everyone to read through the Bible with us in 2021. But if you just check boxes, like you're, you're missing the point. Like the greater goal for all of us is to know God and to know his word and to spend time listening to him each and every day. And the more you do that, the more you're going to find your confidence and strength in Christ. And the more you're going to position yourself and ready yourself to be used by him in this world. Moses was afraid, but something significant happened in the wilderness. There was something about his encounter with God that gave him the courage to take the next step. God says, Moses, I will be with you and if you've been reading on your own, you know that Moses obeyed. He went back to Egypt. He confronted the Pharaoh, again, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And what was Moses' request? He said to Pharaoh, the Lord said, let my people go, to which Pharaoh was like, nope, not going to do it, you know. I mean, I, and because you bring it up, Moses, you know what? I'm going to make the conditions even worse for your people. Quick note here. If God calls you to do something and then something like a pandemic breaks out, it doesn't mean you were wrong, or it doesn't have to mean that you heard God incorrectly. Obstacles and inconveniences don't always mean that you're going in the wrong direction. And this is only the first of many encounters that Pharaoh, Moses is going to have with Pharaoh, and each time Pharaoh's going to say to him, no, to which God's going to respond with a series of plagues against the Egyptians, 10 ugly plagues that fold one at a time. You've seen those. First, the Nile River turned to blood. Uh, second, frogs came from everywhere. Third, gnats and swarms of flies and, and so on. What's God doing? Like, what's God doing through these events? Well, he's putting his strength on display for everyone to see, but something else too. He's also showing the people of Egypt, including the Israelites and the Pharaoh, that he's the one and the only true God of the world. And that's important because in Egypt, they were a very polytheistic culture, many gods, 
And uh, gods like Hopi, uh, gods like Heket and, and Ra, who was Hopi, he was the god of the Nile River. And, and why did God then turn the Nile River to blood? To show everyone that Hopi was a made-up god. Uh, the same was true with Heket. She was the fertility goddess. She had a, a frog head, the head of a frog, very attractive woman. And uh, how do you think people's opinion of her changed when God sent a whole bunch of frogs, Right? And then Pharaoh and his people also worshipped Ra. Ra was the sun god. Do you, do you see what God was doing in sending these plagues and preventing the sun from shining for three days? And not just with these three, but all of them. Ten plagues to prove his strength. Ten plagues to prove to help people see that he is the one and only true God. The tenth one finally broke Pharaoh's back. We'll talk about that one in just a second. But fast forward in the story, Okay. The Pharaoh finally relents, orders Moses and the Israelites to get out of town, and they did. They packed up their things. They're heading off into the wilderness, but sometime after Pharaoh let them go, he's got a change of thought, comes to his senses as he realizes he's just released his most valuable workforce, and so he's not willing to give that up. He mobilizes his army, and he gives chase. In the meantime, you've got Moses. Moses is this reluctant leader, right, leading two to three million people now through the wilderness. And one day he looks over his shoulder to see that the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army are coming in the distance, but he's got another problem too, and that is the Red Sea is in front of them, nowhere to cross, there's nowhere to go. And the Israelites, you know, they're saying to Moses, good one, great, great job, you know. This is exactly what we need, thanks for nothing. Like now we're going to die in the wilderness, but what happens next is pretty remarkable. And I want you to pay particular attention to these words. I want you to see how this man, I want you to see how Moses, who struggled with insecurity and inadequacy, responds in this critical moment. Exodus 14, verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I don't know, this just kind of jumped out at me this week. Like, I mean, isn't this, like, hasn't Moses come a long way? Like, what incredible transformation. I mean, a guy from I can't, I can't, I can't, to but God can. I know him, and I know what he can do. What a reminder for us that abiding with God, repeated obedience, can do incredible things in your life and in your faith. And I think you know what happens next. The Red Sea parts. Moses and the Israelites crossed on dry ground. The Egyptians try and cross too, but they're going to get stuck in the middle. And as the waters were released, the Egyptian army is destroyed. Moses and the Hebrew people are free, but their adventure and time in the wilderness is only beginning. And we'll spend, and you'll spend significant time now reading about that. But isn't it amazing how our God works and how God is able to use and work with regular, normal, imperfect, unqualified people in order to accomplish his great and greater purposes. I read a book uh, a few years back called The Cruelest Miles. It's a great book, great story. It's the story of the 1925 diphtheria outbreak in Nome, Alaska. And this outbreak threatened to kill many, especially kids. Uh, they were very um, uh, subjected to this diphtheria outbreak. Um, 
and experts knew that if they couldn't contain it, if they couldn't resolve it in Nome, that it also had the potential of being a, becoming a, a worldwide pandemic. And much like today, uh, Nome needed the vaccine. Uh, the challenge was that the nearest vaccine was 500 miles away near Fair, Fairbanks, uh, Nanana to be exact, Nome being over here on the far western coast of Alaska, again, a 500-mile, very treacherous and difficult journey. And because it was the dead of winter, there was no easy way uh, to get in and out of Nome. And so, again, the outlook was pretty dreadful, but something had to be done. And because boat travel was out of the question, air travel was out of the question in the dead of winter, uh, the determined solution was to do this, was to send dog sled teams. Yeah, Balto. Uh, you, you jumped ahead on my story here, though, eh? all right? Uh, but to, to send teams uh, to, to make this journey, and not just one team, but the plan was to form a series, a relay of different teams traveling from Nanana in the east uh, towards Nome in the west. Twenty teams total, 20 dog sled teams uh, were involved in this historic effort. And to make matters worse, these dog teams and their leaders had to endure an unexpected, one-of-a-kind blizzard. But wouldn't you know it, five and a half days after the vaccine left Nanana, it arrived in Nome, and many lives were saved, and a pandemic was overcome. Today, the Iditarod dog race is, extends from Fairbanks to Nome, Alaska. It commemorates the historic event, as well as the dog team's and their leaders. Balto gets the credit, all right? Balto gets the credit for the successful trip. He and his leader led the final leg delivering the vaccine to Nome, and uh, there's a statue of Balto. I got to see it a few years ago in New York Central Park, uh, and that was just kind of a cool discovery. Uh, again, I got to see it a few years ago, but if you read the book, or if you've seen Disney's movie Togo, which is a great film, by the way, you discover that Togo played a significant part, too, because while 19 of the 20 dog teams traveled an average of 30 miles each, get this, Togo and his leader covered 264 miles of the 500-mile journey over the course of a couple days, and they crossed some of the most difficult terrain and endured some of the worst blizzard conditions. But it wasn't just the dog teams and it wasn't just their owners. Like credit can also be given to the nurses and the doctors that cared for the kids, the government leaders that struggled, struggled with bold decisions, as well as all of the people who prayed for the rescue effort. And it became a national story. The, the bottom line is this. Everyone had a part to play. And together they were able to accomplish something great. Now, I had no idea when I read this book a few years back that we'd all have to live through something similar uh, to it today. And now all of us, we're praying for an end to the pandemic. And some of you are involved in it in some really unique ways. But more than COVID, the fact is that we have a devastating problem in our world right now. And you can call it fear. Uh, you can call it pride. You can call it hate. You can call it greed. Um, most of all, it's sin. We have a problem with sin in our world, and it has the potential to take so many lives. But as Christians, as a church, we know about the solution. Uh, there's a vaccine for the problem of sin in the world. The, the, the solution to the problem of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. And like Moses, you and I, we have been put on this earth here for a reason. Every single one of us, we all have a part to play in bringing the hope and bringing the love of Christ to others. And like the community that rallied together to save the children of Nome, like we have a, 
We have a part and a role to play as a church family to we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are, as Jesus said, a city on a hill, you know, a light to be shined, you know, for others to see. And Moses struggled and is going to continue to struggle for the rest of his life, but he kept saying yes to God. He kept trusting the Lord, no matter how difficult, no matter how frightening or confusing things got. And as God used Moses, he can use you too. He can use each of us. He wants to use our church family to help others find their way back to him. Can we be people that say yes to God each day and every day, no matter the situation that he puts us in?